1: Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim
0: Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising
1: compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au Looking
2: after you, our team and the wider community is our priority, so we're making a few changes. We're open for fast, contactless takeaway, drive-through and violent delivery. We hope to serve you soon. Delivery is available in select locations.
0: The award winning Crunch Crunch time.
2: Time. As I
3: understand it, Lockie Hunter has crashed his SUV into those parked cars. As I say, just before 9 p.m. on Thursday night. It's not
2: the messages that we want sent out there. As Lockie's a good young man. You oh, I suppose, sadly, it's a, it's
0: a reflection of it not dealing at all appropriately. Uh, the pressure that a whole lot of uh, are
2: under at the moment of so the circumstances in which we uh, live but you can't see that as an excuse
1: so, so there's support and punishment inside yes. of footy clubs so the footy clubs have got this balance of it's not just there you go whack there's a fine and there's your suspension but it's balanced out with this care but the the real punishment is what you're left with with your own conscience
2: drink driving is, is just unacceptable um, and i'm not going to go on a specific case because again i need it needs to be established exactly what the facts are but you know drink driving is completely unacceptable in any hands of the community we know that and as are uh, reaching lockdown laws these these are things that are pretty cut and dry he'll be punished though won't he people need to be accountable for actions. no doubt about that
0: Lockie hunter becomes the ultimate cautionary tale a series of mistakes lands the bulldogs vice captain on the front pages and at the center of debates not only in the football world but the broader community
2: so when when the exact start date is i don't have an answer for you other than uh, we're committed to being uh, out informing our, our our supporters and the public and others by the end of april well, i think there'll be great reluctance particularly from the chief medical officer at a commonwealth level
0: but through all of the chief health officers to have huge public gatherings in advance of a vaccine. And, and the only exception to that would be, I think, if the the virus had been completely eradicated within Australia, and
2: that's a very, very difficult ask. This period we are at the moment is a real opportunity to make some changes to the game for the growth of the game. Don't get me wrong, the game is in a a terrific state, but we can make it better, I think, through this period. And that's the challenge of us, uh, you know, as a football industry, to make sure we get the best desired result for, for the game of AFL moving forward. A July
0: restart comes into view, but the sobering reality appears it will be a season played without crowds. And in a different world, the AFL calls for big ideas as it contemplates the future of the competition. This is Crunch Time. A fourth weekend without footy, it would have been round five. It would stretch us out with a view towards Zanzac Day, but that's in a completely different world. Instead, we're contemplating when we'll find out about the restart of footy. But the sobering message in there is there's going to be no return to the stands anytime soon. In fact, likely until next year. Gerard Waitley with you, our Red Energy experts on crunch time today.
4: Kane Corns, hello to you, Kane. G'day Jared. Yeah, plenty happening even though there's not much happening on the field. Clearly the Lockie Hunter situation dominated the headlines and then last night the, the news of Tyson Stengel as well caught drink driving in an unregistered car at Adelaide. So perhaps a sign that um, at least some part of the AFL players are just not coping with this lockdown situation and no games uh, for them. Liam Pickering, good
5: afternoon to you. Hello to you, Jared, and to you, Kane, and the rest of the listing audience, of course. Uh, just on that one, Kane, uh, just to start us off. I mean, we've seen how big a story it is in Melbourne, and we heard it all day yesterday across the radio network and and on the news last night with Lockie Hunter. What's been the fallout in Adelaide from Tyson Stingle's um, situation where he blew point one two? Pretty similar, actually
4: yeah no for a top story of Adelaide now Pickers, I haven't left my house for 11 days so I haven't got the actual print copy of the paper but I'm assuming it would be front page it'll be the first story on on the news headlines tonight I would imagine or if it's not first it'll be second after coronavirus so it'll be just as big here and um not a, not a great look is it for those couple of players
0: and Sam Edmonds followed so he's followed these stories relentlessly across the past 24 hours Sam great to have you on crunch time
3: Thanks, Jared. Good afternoon to you. I uh, hope you guys are all well. I tell you what, the public are angry, Jared. Uh, it could be spicy today. I tell you what, if the social media feedbacks any indication, they want the book thrown at Lockie Hunter and then some. We're in a really interesting space in society at the moment.
0: So, what do you, what do you credit that to, Sam?
3: I think uh, everyone's just on a knife edge in terms of uh, the restrictions that have been put in place. And there's a real feeling out there that perhaps footballers are entitled and they've got no place to whinge. And we saw the fallout that came with the pay cuts as well. And, um, you know, who do these players think they are? Some people have lost their jobs and they haven't taken enough. They need to take a bigger haircut. And now we've got any suggestion now that uh, Lockie Hunter is a victim in this, that the, the pressure got on top of him and he's a real slippery slope in the eyes of the public. And um, as I say, they they, uh, they want the book thrown at him and uh, they want him to feel the full force of the law.
5: What's your view on that, Pickers? Well, I think he will feel the full uh, force of the law. I think he's going to be dealing with a few other issues outside of football because... Uh, when the police are involved, you've already got the government involved, or the police have already said that the, he's already broken the COVID sort of situation. So, so he's copped that fine to start, let alone the licence loss, let alone you know, the fine that he'll get from the club, let alone the damage that he's caused to the other cars. And I'm not sure how insurance kicks into this one. So he's going to get the book thrown at him. Uh, and we don't know what the what the fallout's going to be from the football club as far as, you know, will he get suspended? You'd think he'd probably get stripped of the vice-captaincy. So it's a horrible mistake that he's made. Um, and he's a 25-year-old young guy. So, I mean, I, I feel for him to a certain extent. I don't feel for the mistake he's made because it's horrible. But uh, I, I do understand it. I've been through this with other players uh, over the past 20 years where well, guys have made mistakes. They're not bad people, but they've just made horrible, you know, judgment error, errors of judgment, if you like. So I can sort of see both sides of it. I understand that there is outrage, and there'll be outrage because it's a football story, and it's a it's a pretty bad one.
4: Pickers, uh, Paul Connors is manager to the three players involved. So uh, we spoke about this with Sam last night on AFL Nation. So he manages Lockie Hunter. He manages uh, Bailey Smith, of course, and Billy Gowers, all three. What's, what would his last 24 hours have looked like?
5: It wouldn't have been great. No, they are never much fun uh, when you've had these involvements in, in these type of scenarios. And first thing you've got to do is probably just give your players some support. So, if, well, and get to the bottom of the story. That's the other thing. I mean, Paul will know more about the story than anybody because he'll have heard it from the horse's mouth. Uh, I'm I'm not sure what they've, what the what the club know and how much they know. I assume the players have just told them the, the facts, you know, and that's all you hope. The guy went through it with with Jay Schultz many many years ago, and Schultz, he was done for drink driving at Richmond, and they had the TAC as their one of their major sponsors, and he was forever seen as the guy that, that lost that sponsorship, even though it wasn't just him there were other indiscretions from inside the Richmond club at the time. And I remember walking in the day afterwards and you know, when it all happened, and I go in and there's three journalists there. There's two journalists there actually at the front door of the Richmond footy club. I've only found out about it early in the morning and I've gone in and it's, it's Rob orders, my brother Law Lauren Hutchie <laughs> they're rolling the cameras on me trying to get a comment. I haven't even seen Schultz at this stage. I go in and he's sitting in the Richmond footy club in a room, a darkened room by himself. So I said, hang on a minute. So then we went and got Greg Miller. I said, don't leave him sitting in there like this. He's already feeling bad enough. So anyway, as they worked through and they lost a sponsorship and Mm -hmm. Schultz, copped his right whack at the time. But, you know, he was a young guy, like he was a young fella at the time. And anyway, he turned it all around and you ended up playing with him, Kane. And, you know, pretty good fella and made a mistake when he was young. And, And I'm hoping that Lockie and Tyson will be in the same boat Is that. You know, it's, it's, they're going to learn a, a pretty public lesson here, unfortunately.
0: You didn't want to be the player to get things wrong at this time in history. Um, and I think that that'll play out. That's already playing out pretty graphically. Uh, the, in, in terms of leadership within a club, Kane, does this disqualify a man from holding the position as vice-captain?
4: Yeah, I would. I would think so. I would think that's the first position the club would take. I just think it's probably untenable to to hold that position. I mean, we've seen players dump from leadership positions for a lot less than this. So I, I think he would probably put his hand up himself and. I mean, it's pretty hard to be involved in a leadership group who ultimately, with the coach and the board, will be ha- handing down these punishments on him for him to be in that group. So that would be the first thing. I'd be surprised if he hasn't already volunteered to step down at least for, for 12 months and then reassess things. But there is there is just a certain lack of trust that is lost when something like this happens, and look, we're not going to hang the guy out to dry, but we understand the seriousness of it. Everyone will get a second uh, second chance, and it's really only the first mistake that he has made. It's a big one. He'll, he'll be welcome back at some point, but at least for 12 months, I would think he would lose that position, yep.
0: Sam, is there any further developments from when you were on air last night?
3: Just, Jared, on the leadership position there, this is where it gets even more unsavoury, I think, is the relationship between Lockie Hunter and Bailey Smith. I mean, it has that... Bailey Smith, a 19-year-old who weighs his own food, and he's vice-captain on his uh, doorstep, basically, having had a a car accident. Now, what was said between the two? What possessed Bailey Smith to drive Lockie Hunter to Billy Gow's house? Did he offered to do it because he felt he had to, was he asked to do it, and he felt he had to, and it's just got that flavour of an older teammate, potentially, without being there and knowing all the details, all the facts, but has that flavour of an older teammate taking advantage of a younger teammate? Wouldn't sit well with a lot of people.
5: Yeah, I'm not sure that would have happened, to be perfectly honest. It might just be that Bailey thought... Yeah, let's get him out of this scenario he he was there he was he was standing around apparently and and someone starts filming getting their phone camera out so i mean probably best to not be around if someone starts filming you i wouldn't have thought but that's my understanding but again it's you know you yeah I you feel for bailey smith the situation he's in but i i don't think Lockie would have lent on him I, i don't think that would have been the case he'd probably be just a young kid that's trying to do the right
0: thing you know all
5: right,
3: yeah, so that, that's it's the, leaving the scene of the accident. That's obviously the wrong thing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> in, well, in the sequence of mistakes that's yeah. been made, that that's high up there and that, that's going to be dealt with. I'm keen to sort of leave that. There's a lot happening in yeah. footy right now. The, the real big picture issues is all week there's been sort of the accumulation of this melting pot of ideas and it's now sort of been given full voice as the AFL has essentially sent a paper to each of the clubs, the future of the AFL competition, blue sky thinking, blank canvas. Um, So every idea that's been spoken about is now on the table. This skill McLaughlin just a short time ago on Fox footy live.
2: Well, the the environment is different. What I'd say, Mark, and again, I've said this during the week, change doesn't mean less. It just means that that there has to be... um, um we, you know, we we need to look at our uh, whole in whole industry in the game to make it as efficient and our structures as efficient as possible yes because of cash and because the, the it's appropriate to do so and, and i guess what what part of this is is there's a mandate now to look at all of that because the environment is changing we need to uh, we need to we need to do that and i don't reckon it needs means it will be less so that community football will be less or the elite level will be less it will be different and it and it's partly driven by cash and partly therefore need be to be efficient and look at the structures.
0: So there's a mandate Sam to restructure the competition almost root and branch. Hmm.
3: Well, he did send an email out to the clubs last week, Jared, and his comments this morning on Fox are consistent with that email where he does make a real point of saying and I think we spoke about this last week saying that as challenging as some of all this may be he said there's some huge opportunities to build the bottom-up model that has been difficult historically to change of course because of what he called entrenched structures so he said we don't have a choice but to change these structures but we do have a choice as to how we achieve the best structures in order to set our game up to be successful and sustainable for generations to come so as he said, not less, but different. And that's consistent with the list size debate that's going on at the moment. That if list sizes are cut, it doesn't mean less opportunity. It'll just look different in terms of player access to primary lists.
0: So there's no question, Kane, that out of this, is it's, we're going to have a different looking competition.
4: No doubt. Oh, this one caught my attention, Jared. This uh, paragraph in the story from Michael Gleeson in The Age this morning, and it says, the question that's posed from the AFL to the clubs, what are the minimum weekly hours required to prepare players to play? Does list size impact these outcomes? Does this mean that there is a potential, and I can't see this happening, but if they're asking what's the minimum weekly hours required, is there a possibility that... AFL players may not be full-time. Uh, is this what they're looking at to, to save costs? And back to, you know, when you started Pickers, oh, yeah, I'll probably have a better lens than that. But I just thought, oh, hang on, what are they getting at here with that line?
5: Oh, too, I hope that it's not back to when we started. They won't be getting paid much. <laughs> <No. laughs> I'll have to rethink my business. <laughs> Crikey, we were getting paid bugger all. Uh, look, I, it, that's how it read. It, it read like, can we just reduce the hours to the players being accessed at the club. Like, the access that the club mm. get at the moment are pretty much eight till six if they want it. I mean, it's, and every day except for two. So I, it's certainly not how it works. But, I mean, players have got a lot of meetings. They've got a lot of hours to fill in on their full days. Yeah, it's usually, you know, a couple of full days, a couple of half days and a day off type of scenario. Uh, but is the, it sounds like if they're going to reduce the money, they're going to have to reduce the hours as well.
0: Mm. fewer coaches, smaller lists, new football department structure, second-tier competitions, which are obviously going to be critical in how the development side of mm. things is set up, what's the best model across school football, community football, and talent pathways, the three most important things for the industry now and over the next five to ten years. So it's it it's all on the table like we, we've never seen before. That, that's, that's the only way to read all of this.
5: That's, that's the it per- is, Gerard. Yeah, it the- is. Yep, correct. That's the perfect way to read it, is that we're going <laughs> to... We have got a blank canvas here, guys. Let's think about how we're going to do this better and more efficiently Is what well. I'm reading.
4: What, how do you read it? How do you read it, Jared? I mean, change has always been resisted in our game, and it's always come with some criticism. How, how drastic do you think it's going to be? You speak to the people at the AFL. Where, how, do you, how do you get a read on this, this story? So in I, I think my out? view
0: is there has been a concept around what what should the modern AFL look like. And the biggest impediment to making those changes has been the resistance in the community towards change. I reckon there's there's two things on that front. There's still that hardcore group of don't change anything, ignoring the fact that things have radically altered over the past five to ten years. But I think there's clearly an appetite for change that you can tap in this time so it's either idle minds or this is the creative thinking which gives you the green light to do it but if the if the new economy as it's been called if the new economy of football can't sustain what was there previously you actually get to to rewrite the rules um, not the literal rules of the way that the game is played but the structure of the industry so I think there's the opportunity to come out of this with what is the what does the modern AFL competition look like not the not the competition that was the club-based VFL, which essentially went broke and then was open piece by piece by piece and became a national competition. But what would the modern incarnation of it look like? And I think that's, you know, there are some tremendously creative minds within the industry, not just at AFL headquarters, and they're obviously being tapped Here is You could end up with, with the competition that, the next generation deserves out of this rather than all the historical impediments of the way that it evolved. I think it's actually a a thrilling time in the right hands out the other side of it. If the new economy of the game can be established.
4: I've got a few concerns just with the reduction of football staff. Like I've seen how hard assistant coaches work and in just interviewing a couple of them recently, they're expressing the concern that if there's less of them is the ones that are, are left to to fill the void of those that have gone, going to be forced to work doubly as hard, which is, which is almost impossible because it's a pretty thankless job. And pickers, and you'd be aware from the the assistant coaches that you manage the amount of time that they put in. You know, if they were paid per hour, it, it's next yeah, to nothing. Now, if there's a reduction from ten in the footy department to five is the workload going to double? And I just don't think that is sustainable. So is there going to have to be a restriction on that if, if footy departments are reduced and the hard cap is in? So there is some real concern that we have to uh, be at the forefront of our minds in terms of people's mental health and their workload. That goes for coaches, that goes for um, you know medical staff, it goes for fitness staff, because if there's not that level of support there, but still the same expectations... That's the concern that I've got for everyone in the industry.
5: That, that's the biggest issue is, is, is the expectation because they're hard taskmasters, these coaches. Don't worry yeah. about that. And if they're used to having, right, you're going, code this game, code that game, code this game, which takes them hours to do, yeah. post a game, you know, and they're trying to do it all. They're up all night to try and get the meeting ready for Monday and there's two of them instead of six of them. I mean, it's just a whole different game. And I, I think if the coach, the senior coach's expectation is, all right, well, let's... We can't do all that. What we're used to is going to have to change. So it would have to be a whole mindset change across the whole coaching board, not, not just the assistants, because at the end of the day, the assistant coach is really reliant on what is being told to him by the senior coach. And the, and, the general, and the senior coach realistically should be in line with the general manager of football. So it'd have to be a, a combined effort of what the priorities are and, and what they need to spend their time as a priority on. So, rather than just you know, at the moment, it's just throw the you know the hands hands up and just go. All right, well, let's just try and scoop in as much info as we can on everything, and it's going to be impossible to do with with a skeleton staff, if you like.
0: We'll loop back through the pathways because uh, we've got all the right minds here to discuss those in a moment's time. But getting the competition back going uh, this year, so there's. Gil wants he does want to provide what he described as as the light at the end of the tunnel for the fans for the players for the clubs and that is he says he has in his mind a, a tentative date that he's not ready to make public yet but they're confident but not certain of being able to unveil that on I think it was April 27 was the day that that he'd named is it Sam it, it does feel like July is the, the landing point. All the clubs have agreed that there's a, a three-week lead-in. So from the time they're allowed to go back to training to the first game, is it's a three-week runway.
3: Yep, and no real change there, Jared Gill telling us uh, uh, in that press conference this week that they were still very confident that on that date, the end of April there, they would have a return-to-train date and also a return-to-play date. He said that might change, but... As they stand at the moment when he was speaking to us, they are really confident they would have that. And I think the footy industry would be a much better place once we have a date to work to. It's, an, it's such an unknown at the moment. so difficult. We know fans aren't going to be there. But, geez, if we can get a return date, that would be a massive boost, wouldn't it, for, it does, for everyone?
5: It does sound like the mood's changed a bit, though. It yep. did sound a lot more positive this week mm. than it has in previous weeks.
0: Clearly. And that links in with um, the the testing and the number mm. of positives so the the curve has flattened for the time being um, yeah so they, they are obviously empowered in the conversations that have been going on to move themselves towards the starting point it's not going to be a starting point anything like the NRL on May 28 I think most people still in the industry that I speak to expect it to be July with a, a three week lead in so they won't well, they don't appear like they're going to hasten to it, but there's a far greater level of optimism. And then there's the the question around what quarantine looks like, because there's all sorts of layers to this. I know the the one that's been so furiously advanced and debated has been the complete, you know, almost the airtight hub, which is which is fanciful, really. But Gil McLaughlin was asked. So David King actually asked the right question: What are the varying Levels of quarantine that are being contemplated under this banner of hubs.
2: It's Robbo, and you know Victoria has extraordinary, um, you know, proximate facilities, and so there's there's obviously um, opportunities all of that, like like there is in every state to various levels. So you you know you clearly need venues. There's there's a, there's a options with. Um, clearly accommodation, you know, centralised accommodation, you know, you need training facilities, you need medical facilities. So um, they're all being assessed. And, and to be honest with you, there's, there's live uh, examples of things being looked at in every state and territory.
0: So quarantine um, restrictions and longer road trips, I think we're a, we've moved a fair way past the, put six teams in three different locations around the country and locked them in until we play the season.
4: Looks that way. Yeah, I I, I can't envision how it's gonna look. Jared, um, clearly with, with no crowds, it, it, it opens it up to different possibilities. And, and is there still the possibility of playing in places where, which haven't been affected as heavily by coronavirus? I mean, South Australia is one of those, for, for example, who you know, have hardly recorded many positive tests at all in the last week or so. So is, is that at the forefront of their mind? Are they looking to play somewhere where it's not as prevalent? I'm not sure. I can't actually imagine how it looks and you know, airline travel is down as well the challenges of that so yeah I can't forecast exactly what it's going to look like and I'm not sure the AFL even is clear on on how it looks considering how fast this story is moving.
0: The most successful isolation pickers has been the isolation we're all doing in our own homes. Yeah, well, yeah. If you need the example of how it works, yeah, absolutely. Is there's, it's been incredibly successful at community level to say, stay home, go to work, stay home, go to work, stay home, go to work, rather than putting a whole lot of people in one place.
5: Yeah, it has. And it's so noticeable when, uh, when you do venture out of your home, how quiet it is and where we all live. And I think the Victorians have done an unbelievably good job. Yeah, you know, and I can only talk for our areas, but I mean, to me, it, it seems like you know we, we've got our head around it. It, it. it took a bit of kicking and screaming at the start, but I think people are now getting their head around it, and they're actually starting to work together on it. They're starting to pull people up. I'm seeing the at the supermarkets. I'm seeing, uh, you know, I'm seeing some real policing now. It's going, just going in to get your groceries. Like, I mean, it's stuff that I think it's took a little. It's taken a little while to get there, but. Yeah, I think it's working really well, and I think the results are
0: showing. And Sam, the other major piece this morning is the Chief Health Officer in Victoria has specifically addressed the likelihood of when a crowd might gather next at the MCG, and he says it's not in 2020. This is keeping in with what Martin Pakula said during the week, is until there's a vaccine, the chances of gathering sports crowds are as good as nil.
3: No, this is the sobering counterpoint to the feel-good factor that we're having. And the domestic sports might be looking OK too without crowds attending, of course. But then the international events, that the, the T20 World Cup, you know, the, the Melbourne Cup, the Australian Open, maybe even the Grand Prix again could be affected because international travel professor Sutton warning on Friday in that interview with the age is going to be the last domino to fall and it might not fall in his mind for quite some time so public gatherings without a vaccine as you'd have to say now are looking almost impossible if you listen to the experts
5: yeah I'm hearing that the cricket world cup is now they're thinking February March next year so that's my understanding is when yep. it, when it's looking more likely I don't know what you've heard Jared. you're across the cricket scene as well
0: and the the potential of the borders being opened to even bring yep. teams here is is so low, and that affects the whole summer of cricket. So, yeah, I think when when footy resumes and call that July, if, if we were clinging to a hope that there might be crowds in September October by the time it's coming towards its climax, I, that, that that seems a long way off on the words of those who will be making the decisions.
3: But would take it, wouldn't we? We would take it at the yeah. moment in a heartbeat.
0: Well, we want to play. So every, everyone that was, that was
5: oh, footy's not the same without without crowds in round one, they'd be going, well, oh, at least, least we've got the game on. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. What I mean, the mindset changes then. It's like we're all expecting to come back with no crowds. If the, If the crowds are able to come in potentially really late in the year, How thrilling would it be? But we don't expect it, do we? Not this season.
0: Not now. Not now. So on Crunch Time for Red Energy, we've gathered our expert panel, Kane Corns, Liam Pickering and Sam Edmonds. We will turn our attention to the question that has been posed to all in the industry. What is the best model across school football, community football and talent pathways in the blue sky thinking around preparing players for their league careers? That's next on Crunch Time.
2: Now get a 24-pack of Corona Extra 355ml bottles for just $47. That's 24 bottles for only $47. Don't miss out on this cracking offer. Hurry into Liquorland right now.
3: We can move the world for you, Cameron. On 1116
2: SEM, the award-winning crunch time.
3: Absolutely
4: no brainer. Absolute no-brainer, Gerrit. I mean, every other year, um, as much as I'd advocated for the draft days initiative, I was finding it hard to um, to work through how you'd actually do it. Uh, and but now, because the, none of the pathway programs are playing and, and training, it just makes absolute sense if if
0: we feel strongly enough about it and the benefits we'll get from it to, to just go ahead and do it. As Luke Beveridge, during the week on raising the draft age to 19, Damien Hardwick went further and said it could be 20. Stephen Wills, one of the most respected recruiters in the game, said 18 has always served the game well, so leave it. it is, it's a live discussion as part of the paper that's been put to each club is what is the best model across school football community football and talent pathways and would it be beneficial to raise the underage competition to under 19 rather than under 18. Liam Pickering, Kane Corns and Sam Edmund with Jared Waitley on Crunch Time this Saturday. Pickers what's your overriding view on this?
5: Yeah my, my view is very much the man who talks common sense is Stephen Wells and I, I'm a bit with him. I, I like the 18 as an age group. Kids have finished school it's there, there's no gap year in between. They're ready to roll. I know it's a busy year for them doing their studies, but it seems to have worked well over the years. And as well as he said, and he made a really good point, I think you made it with you, they don't have to nominate. If you don't think your kid's ready, don't push, don't push that form. Don't send that button. Don't push that button, sorry, and send that form in. You can go the next year. But it just means you've got a year in the development system. And I don't think the development system's set up well enough at the moment uh, as it sits right now to increase uh, the age and have a year where uh, we don't even know where they're going to play. Another year in the under-18s, or is it going to be in the VFL? We don't even know.
0: Kane?
4: I threw something up yesterday. I was thinking back to the late 90s, I think 1997, where clubs had the opportunity to select one 17-year-old. I thought it may be a good compromise if, if clubs still had access to one 18-year-old. I think 17's too young, but one 18-year-old and then the rest is is 19. I think if we're going to look at it, this year's the year. And it doesn't have to be permanent, it just can be for a short term, because I just find that if players come in off the back of no football, you're chucking them straight into an AFL environment, yes, there'll still be, I don't know, 10 that'll be prepared and ready to go, but there'll be a lot off the back of no footy at all, and no AFL programs that they would usually be involved in, It just won't be prepared for AFL footy. So... If you are ever going to look at it, this year is the year to look at it, and perhaps moving forward, if it's uh, one 18-year-old that they can pick so you still get the best 20 18-year-olds in the country that end up on an AFL list and then the rest is 19-year-olds who might be better prepared, I think that might be a good compromise. Sam?
3: Jared, I don't know, am I missing something? Uh, To take a leaf out of the if it ain't broke, don't fix it uh, leaf, I mean, is it that broken? I mean, I go back through the rising star winners, and you just can't imagine them not playing the game. The Sam Walshers of the world, the Jaden Stevenson, the Callum Mills, the Daniel Talley is going back. I mean, you either don't nominate or you get on an AFL list and they do their groundwork at VFL level where they're developed in a professional environment and when they're ready to play, they play.
5: That's my theory. I, I yeah. agree I agree with that. I, I just think there, there are so many players. Like Matt Rowe could have played league footy two years ago. You, know, you go through some of these guys same with Sam Walsh same scenario there's a heap there's a heap of these guys right there are a heap of these guys that are ready to go there are a lot that aren't of course that's that's how it is but um yeah so i I sit at the moment I have got Jordan in my ear just chewing my ear off um <laughs> that's coming through which is great um yeah so I, I just think it's yeah there are so many of the players that are ready to go that's I'd prefer to see that
4: so I think it comes about that the reason it comes about Sam is because it's it's it is broken. It's not going to look like it has looked in the past. There's not going to be 44 spots on a list is what we're hearing. So you can't carry a development guy who, who might be an 18-year-old ruckman that sits on your list for a number of years. You just won't have the access to be able to do that. If lists come down to 35, then you know, are you going to have the ability to do that if the salary cap comes down, um, if they come in off no football? So I think at the moment what we 're saying is it is broken now in the past it's been fine when footy's been bulletproof and everything's great, but now it's not so I think that 's the reason why the discussion has been raised this week from from but Luke Beveridge and in particular Damien Hardwick.
3: but what does the second tier look like guys like could we have open recruiting windows so the top up players are accessed on a on a needs basis you know not not trading wise from other uh, competitors but from VFL level or waffle level or second tier level, could we just have Clubs being able to access players on a needs basis, for if not the whole season, then large portions. Haven't
5: we of got? Do. We've already got that, though. Haven't we? We've got two drafts. I mean, we've got a one January February draft, and then you've got a you are an ability to put players on your list. You have got another one in the middle of the year now. Uh, yeah,
3: we've got two. But yeah. if, but if lists do come down to say thirty five, seems to be the golden number that everyone's talking about. then that obviously mm. reduces a club's capacity to cover the gaps, doesn't
5: Yeah, I, just, I don't. I don't think the list should come down. Personally, uh, you know, are we trying to create opportunities for players and take it away from them? That's my view. That, that's
0: yeah. That's one of the most interesting aspects of this. There does seem like there's a determination to reduce lists. The question will be how far, and if you do that, where does the development take place? So it's easy to, you know, the five players. Who won't be on lists from here on? They're the ones who are in that development phase. So your second tier competition, and whether that's the national reserves, which is now being spoken yeah. about, is you have to have adequate development there to bring the eighteen year olds who aren't being developed onto the list to be prospects when they are nineteen, twenty, twenty one, twenty two. Is I know there. This is where I think that the real difficulty is is looking to save money at the elite is is going to require an incredible investment in the second-tier competition. So mm. if there's not the money for one, I or can't the, imagine there's the money for the other. Or the coaching, Jared. Like, if we're reducing mm. coaches at AFL
5: level, I mean, the AFL clubs that aren't exactly flushed with cash.
0: So, <laughs> so presumably you're looking for an ecosystem where the players who come out of the AFL system would then go into the second-tier system and do the development work there. But there has to be... The economy has to make sense for for those people to be able to make that happen.
5: Mm. Yeah, it's, it's where it's a really it's a it is the million dollar question. It is it, it's it's a flip of a coin for mine. I just think that there are so many things that are that are that are wrong about it that it's just as easy. It's easy to say, oh, we'll just make an 19 income. Well, it's quite that easy in my view because we've got to think about what else goes around it.
0: Kane, what what of the idea of a National Reserves competition, and this has the greatest implications in South Australia and Western Australia, where the state leagues are still so treasured?
4: Well, in a perfect world, you would absolutely have that. So you would, in the Samful situation, you would ideally keep Port Adelaide Magpies as a separate entity because they 've been around for one hundred and fifty years, and I, I think the the outrage to just scrap them would be would be too great, so the tradition there you keep them there, but the crows would their, their team would automatically go into the AFL reserve system in an ideal world it 's what the AFL clubs would want, but the pushback to it has always been around cost you know cost of travel cost of you know generating these lists how, how to how do you formulate squads to play on the weekend? I mean, you're going you to have to... Where do the top-up players come from? There's so many questions. And once again, it comes back to cost and everything's going to come back to cost. And at the moment, I just, I just think that challenge would be too great for the AFL to be able to fund this at the moment. But, yep, in an ideal world, and I think we probably weren't too far away from it prior to coronavirus, you'd have it. But now I think it's looking a lot less likely.
0: What do you think there, Sam, on the, the possibility of the National Reserves Is um it, even the the Swans chairman is is advocating that pretty strongly today, believing that if you want to reconnect people to the game, give them the curtain raises that that we used to have.
4: I'd have lost him oh, for a bit, have... Jared.
5: Sam, yeah, Sammy looks lost. like he's talking. He sounds like he's talking through a pillow.
0: <laughs> 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 put, put your microphone closer to your mouth, man. A long way of the distance. <laughs> could, could, Pickers, could you see a return to the reserves that, that you grew up with? I'd love to see
5: it. Oh, I personally, I would love to see it i I think that was you found that many players out of that competition, That was strong too the vFL which was the AFL reserves really a VFL reserves when I first started, and then the AFL reserves was a bloody good competition. It was a really good competition, but uh, it is just it makes it tricky because of the interstate clubs. that's all. I mean I just look at Adelaide and I see that yeah they're not allowed to take players from proper leagues. I mean when they've have injuries, they're going to go and get them from the the country or well, the amateurs mm-hmm. like I mean it's just not fair on those teams for a start. Uh, but if you had squads of forty, again, you'd, you'd have to have a full squad, uh, forty-five, call it. You know, no one's going to put. Them, we know when they're not going up; they're coming down. But if you had that many, and you could just pick your teams every week like we used to, you would certainly find it would be the clubs would love it. They would love to have access to it to, to the players the whole time. Like you know, for them that would just be perfect. They're coaching the same message; they're seeing their players every minute. Of the, every minute that they're at the club and playing and. Uh, the messaging doesn't get mixed, which it does in some situations. Uh, I, I just think it would be fantastic, but I just don't think it will happen.
4: I heard some suggestions this week. I think Craig Jennings put it on the agenda, Jared, that you wouldn't have any second-tier competition, and that got some pushback. I, players got to play. Like you, you know what it's like. You've done a pre-season, and you're as fit as you've ever been, but put yourself into that first game, and you're blowing like anything. <laughs> like Nothing prepares you for playing games. No, so to one. Think that, <laughs> yeah, To think that you could not have... Uh, players play and just train as a train on squad and then be plucked to play the hardest competition in the world off no games I thought was a bit of a ridiculous suggestion so there has to be some form of competition it can't just be a train on squad where players that aren't selected don't play at all I just think that would that just wouldn't work. Okay, uh, we'll do some of the club-by-club club contemplations next. And
0: the Charlie Curnow setback at Carlton, does uh, that would have sent a tremor through Blues fans in their isolation. So we'll do that with Liam Pickering and with Kane Corns coming up. And um, before we do, let's get a points bet update with Elliot Forbes. This is for points bets, uh, get $5 odds for Santa Ana to run first or second in the All-Age Stakes. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help on one eight hundred eight five eight. 858 Eight five eight.
1: Hunters Elliot from PointsBet here. Looking ahead to a Saturday racing at Royal Randwick. We'll start with the Hallmark Stakes over the twelve hundred metres. Trekking is six bucks and rock solid in betting. Kementari four hundred and sixty has not moved from the opening quote at PointsBet. Deprive is the one they are backing though. Four hundred and sixty when we opened did touch three ninety. Now settled at four dollars twenty. And the All Age Stakes over the fourteen hundred metres. Group one and a cracking field has been assembled. Pirata is your favourite. Four dollars forty after opening at four eighty. Tofane has seen some support. Thirteen into ten at PointsBet after a couple of early bets, and Santa Ana Lane is $4.80 and been very well supported. Did run second, last start in the TJ Smith, hitting the line very strongly, so the trip up in distance looks very favourable here. If that's not enough to get you excited, have a listen to this for the points bet punters. You're going to get $5 odds for Santa Anna Lane to run first or second in the All-Age stakes. That's $5 odds for Santa Analine Lane to run first or second. T's and C's apply, so jump onto pointsbet.com.au, download the app, and as always, please gamble responsibly. As we find ourselves with more time on our. For the Macca's all day menu,
4: available 24 7 and Liquor Click and collect in just 30 minutes.
2: They don't know what success is. So I talk about it. They don't know what it is. And uh, I think that uh, sometimes you've got to taste it and build to it. uh, What's culture? They wouldn't know what culture is. But what gives me hope, Ross, is that I don't reckon Rebolt and Rance, when they were arguing for a period of time, weren't even buying into each other's areas. Trent Cochin to me, wasn't a great captain. I thought Trent, whether he was asked to do it or what, was getting a lot of possessions, but it wasn't what's best for the team. So they've got to find something that's clear and and decisive and stick with it, not chop and change year after year to try and get something. Better.
0: There's Matthew Lloyd on Footy Classified during the week in his assessment of Essendon and then running the comparison. To Richmond, uh, given that he was part of the last successful culture at Essendon and then that had passed by the time that he finished, Uh, it did prompt a pretty stern rebuke from David Zaharakis who uh, took umbrage on behalf of the, the current day Essendon player, Kane.
4: Yeah, as he, as he should. And that, I mean, if you listen to David Zaharakis' response in full, I thought it was pretty measured. He did, certainly didn't get personal. I mean, some of the headlines that um, you read, you thought, oh, gee, that's a pretty strong rebuttal. But I bet it wasn't. It was quite measured. I, I actually, you know, the results speak for themselves. So. Matthew Lloyd has got a point. I mean, the results over a long period of time now speak for themselves, and clearly Lloyd is still connected to the club in some way where he speaks to some players and some staff members and perhaps some coaches. So in the end, you can't argue with the results, particularly over a long period of time. It's the same question marks we had about Richmond prior to uh, 2017 when they had these issues and they kept falling short and kept finishing ninth. You just can't argue with it. So until they make the finals and win a final and get their club back on track, then these same questions will be continually raised, as they should be.
0: Pickers, are we right back in pre-season mode, where everything, every theory gets worked through and trends, <laughs> and we've got virtually no new evidence to work with, so yep. we're cast back right where we were?
5: Spot on. That's exactly where we are. Now we're back uh, speculating again about what, what potentially is going to happen. I mean, we're not going to know until they're out there. Uh, are wrestling going to be better? Well, I think they probably will. I think they'll probably be better than they were. Uh, are they good enough to win the flag? Not on what I've seen. I don't think they're good enough. But again, you know, I don't, Laurie will have a bit more of an understanding of the ins, what's happening inside the club. But um, yeah, when we're sitting back and we're we're just trying to fill spots and we're trying to fill, you know, on air... Time and we're trying to fill radio time, and and then, we're, and then we're speculating. We're doing lists. We're doing who's the best player at this club, who's who's the best kick of all time. We're doing all these things. <laughs> That's what we're doing because mm. we're all the same. We're, I know our supporters and public want they want to see footy, but so do we. So when you're being asked questions, you know these things that would probably wouldn't have even wouldn't have even been given another mention Lloydie, Apart from the fact that we've nothing else to talk about, we might as well go on and talk about that. <laughs>
4: I do think, though, Jared, the cl- clubs with the, the strongest culture now, and if, if that's the word you want to use, will come out of this the best, particularly in a shortened season, because they'll be the ones that instantly can recover. And that comes with a bit of experience, not only from the coaching department, where they can galvanise and um, motivate the group to a position where perhaps some rookie coaches wouldn't be able to do. so. When you talk about haves and have-nots and things like this, I think the more experienced playing groups um, will clearly benefit out of a, a three-week preseason. They'll get themselves prepared quicker than what a younger, more inexperienced group would do. Senior coaching staff will come up with a game plan that perhaps some other coaches don't have an intel into. So when you're looking at Clarkson and, and Simpson and Harwick and these types of coaches and playing groups and how mature they are, they're, they're the ones that are going to come out firing, I reckon, when yeah. the season does yeah, get but, underway, hopefully in July.
5: But Kane we don't know the fixture yet that's all well and good just mm. <laughs> see who you're drawn to play because that's going to make a huge difference in what happens with this year's season
4: but Is everyone it, plays each other once hopefully pick it so it won't matter will yeah it? i know but it,
5: you want to get away to a decent start yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't want to be chasing not in this year uh, you know i mean the fact they're going to count the round 1 which they should you know the teams that have lost round 1 are already on the back foot like that, that's the reality Look, the bulldogs copped the horrible ha- hammering in round 1 so you're already chasing tail, in my view. It's a shorter season. So, again, I think the is going to have a, a big impact. And where you play teams, that's the other thing. If we do happen to get on the road and all that sort of stuff, where we
0: play them? If there was a critical mass of games in Perth where the Western sure. Australian teams were, were based all the time or... All that, yeah. Um, Craig Jennings made the point is if, if, if Tassie was a, a regulation venue and, and North Melbourne played most of their games in Hobart, what would that look like? And um, The one thing away from sort of supposition and speculation, the Charlie Kernow setback feels bad, doesn't it? It is. No luck, is he? No, no. So the the stress reaction, which is usually the precursor to a stress fracture in the knee and just that immediate verdict that's um, like the, the club, if you're reading between the lines, the club can't see him playing in 2020 now.
5: Okay, if that's the case, that's fine. If they've already made that, internally made that decision, well, that's not even pushed to do make 2020 an option. That's that's real. He's he's a very important player for them going forward. So if you have to wipe this year out, Charlie, you know, we've had two, three setbacks now. Uh, let's just wipe it and just say, let's. the long term is we want you ready for the start of 21. So you get yourself right, let it heal, let it settle down, gradual build up, take the whole year as a pre-season and, and like a post-injury recovery period because he's too important to be bucking around with, trying to push him back in my view.
4: It's got a bit of Joe Danaher about it, doesn't it, Jared? Like, just the. If he's not the most talented player in the competition, he's nearly there. I saw him kick, what was it, six last year, or might have been seven against the Western Bulldogs in, seven, I think it was around yeah. 13, with no preparation at all. Like, no preseason, just came in and completely ripped the game apart. Almost one of the best individual performances I saw all of 2019. And then to have this happen is. He's really shocking, so uh, unfortunately some players just just aren't built for the rigours of playing footy, and once you have one serious setback, it leads to another, and then another, there's a pattern of behaviour that you think, oh, they're going to have to do something drastic to get him back on track, so I, I actually agree with Pickers on this, just put him out, get it right, strengthen it up, get as many um, experts to advise on it as you possibly can. And, and this is the year to do it, isn't it? Like if, if you're ever going to miss a season, this is the one you probably need to miss, particularly if there's short breaks between games and they're going to rush things through, then he, he's just not going to be ready to play. So uh, call it almost now and, and get him right because that, he's still still young enough to come back and have a, a six, seven, eight year career. But yeah, there's, there's a real concern um, for the future of his, of his game, no doubt in his body.
0: Mm. Utilising that this peculiar time is that that's right. When you read, as ultimately as Patella is showing us that there is still a weakness around one yeah, of the original yeah. screw holes. This stress response is an indication to us that his knee requires more time to heal. As this is the one moment in history where you've got all the time yeah. you need.
5: Yeah, and, and take it. And That's just the the message. The key message would be just take it and just take take the long term view. This kid's too good a player for us. We we can't afford. To muck around for two years to try and get him back for you know six games this year. I mean, in my view, it's when you've got a player of that age um, that's potentially going to be a ten ten plus more years in the AFL system. I, I wouldn't take the risk.
0: We'll leave you to your Saturday, Liam Pickering, Cane Corns. Great to have you as part of Crunch Time. Uh, we'll talk again in a week. Good on you, Jared. good on you. See, See you next week. Kane, oh, go and go for a run, can't please. We'll do. Okay. We lost Sam Edmund along the way, but uh, he'll be back, I'm sure, in no time. It's been Crunch Time. Our experts for Red Energy for Australian electricity and gas. You can podcast the entire show each week. Just find it on your podcast provider and subscribe, and you won't miss a moment.
3: Make sure it measures up. Make it Australian made. Look for products certified to carry the green and gold Australian made kangaroo logo to be sure it's genuine Aussie. Products made to Australian standards have a reputation for reliability, safety and performance. In fact, two thirds of Aussies prefer buying Australian made building and renovation materials. For your next renovation or job, hammer it home. Make it Australian made. Visit australianmade.com.au